Amen. Wonderful singing this morning, and I'm glad that you're with us today. I hope you got a copy of the sermon notes on your way in this morning, and if you weren't here last Sunday night, you'd like to get a copy of our little vision booklet, our Walk Worthy booklet that we put together um, as we look forward into this year of what the Lord has for us. Make sure you get one of those on the way out this morning. Be fine, and uh, that'll be a wonderful thing. Our boys and girls will be dismissed out to their junior church time now, and uh, let them head on out with Brother Josh and Sister Anna. Thankful for their ministry there. Let's take our Bibles this morning. Turn to the book of Colossians where Freddie was reading from just a few minutes ago. And I'm so thankful uh, to have the opportunity and the time to be able to study God's Word and to be able to preach it to you this morning. This book is a powerful book. And God's Word has the truth that we need to be able to live for Him each and every day. Last Sunday, we began our series for this year as we look at what it means to walk worthy. And that's our theme for this year. It's such an important thing for us to consider from God's Word. And uh, we'll be looking at that for a long time this year because there are many different facets of it. And we're going to focus specifically in four different areas this year. That's what the banners up on the wall help us to understand. Growing in our knowledge of God, bearing fruit. Uh, growing as we grow in our strength, being strengthened with all might, and then giving thanks. And we see those mentioned for us in Colossians chapter 1, in verse uh, 9, 10, 11, and 12. He says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might... Walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. And verse 12 says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And last week as we began our study, we talked about a little bit of what it means to walk worthy and how important it is that we walk in a manner that's befitting our relationship with Jesus Christ. To be worthy means to give value to and to walk worthy is the idea that we should be putting our life in a place that we say we have great value on our relationship with Christ, so much value in fact that it should change Everything about who we are, the way we think, what we do, how we act, how we behave in this world because of what God has done for us. Over the next several weeks, next week being a bit of an exception because next Sunday, by the way, is the beginning of our missions conference, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. If you are able to be here for some of those extra services, I would encourage you to do so. I know that means maybe putting an extra strain on your schedule, uh, being up a little bit later one evening. But it is going to be a wonderful time as we hear from men and women of God who have served the Lord all over the world, some here locally, uh, some in our regional area, and some in far-off places around the world, places that maybe you and I have never visited. And I hope it will be a wonderful challenge and encouragement from God's Word. Next Sunday morning, we'll start off with a wonderful service as we hear from our missionary, Ron White. Uh, with over 50 years of mission work in Japan and other places around the world, I know it will be a blessing to you. Next Sunday night at 5 o'clock, we're going to have our international dinner. 
and we have food from all over the world represented right here in this room. And uh, so if you haven't signed up for that, make sure you get that after the service, and we'll enjoy a special meal together, but we'll also hear from some other missionaries Sunday night, and then Monday night, we have a, another man who's coming in, a missionary. He's been worked in mission work all over the world, been a leader of a large mission organization, and uh, he has served God faithfully. Some of you have read his book, Don Sisk, his book called Fourth Quarter, and uh, he's served the Lord faithfully now for um, close to 90 years, I think, and so he's in his upper 80s, but it'll be a blessing. I don't know how he still does it. He's in Hawaii right now preaching, and he's flying here from there and uh, going to go right to it. Some of us can hardly deal with time change of an hour, and uh, he's pushing 90 years old, and he's going to keep going. I don't know how he does it, but I hope that I can have that kind of energy when I'm that age, but you want to hear from him. And we're also going to hear from our church planner, David Cripps. By the way, this morning, they're having their very first Sunday morning service in their home, so praise the Lord for that. And God is good. We can give the Lord a hand for that. He's doing it, preaching with his leg up in the air like this, not because that's the new style for preaching, but because he had his uh, surgery on Friday to repair his Achilles tendon that he tore. So be praying for him as he recovers and tries to get a church started at the same time. So that's a busy process for them, but the Lord's good, and uh, he, he's very encouraged. He said uh, several of the folks that were at the Christmas outreach that we helped with a few weeks ago were planning to be there this morning. So that's a blessing. Even one of the ladies that trusted Christ told him she would be there today. And so it's a blessing to see how God continues to work down there. But uh, other than a brief stop for our missions conference, and that'll be uh, a stop in this series, but we'll pick it right back up. We want to be studying together in the book of Colossians and then we'll go to some other places from there as we think about what it means to walk worthy of the Lord. But before we get into what it means for us, this morning I want to begin a, a message that will probably have a couple of parts to it, because as you look through this passage of Scripture, there's a lot more that we can just cover in one Sunday morning. But I want us to begin to ask this question, why is He worthy? Why is the Lord worthy of our walk? What has He done for us? Who is He what is it that makes him so special? You may be sitting here this morning and think, well, I've, I've been in church my whole life. I know what's special. He's Jesus. He's God. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you would be absolutely right. But I think sometimes we forget, or it maybe grows a little bit faint in our memory, or the distractions of this world become so busy upon us that we can tend to lose our focus on why he truly is worthy. And uh, if you're new to the faith or maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're here this morning and this is all a little bit new, I hope you'll be challenged this morning about the answer to this question. Why is He worthy? This morning we're really just going to focus on the second part of verse number 12, verse 13 and verse 14. I'll read those verses to you. Verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us, I'm sorry, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. Verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear, dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness, even the forgiveness of sins. What am I doing? Why am I doing it? Why do we even 
pursue after this Christian life? Is it just a cultural thing? Is it just something, this is how we grew up and so this is what we're going to keep doing because we don't know anything different? Or is there really a reason that we should walk worthy? Why is he worthy? Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary to China back in the 1700s, he was very well known at that time, early 1800s, I'm sorry, he said this, there are three great truths. First, that there is a God. Second, that He has spoken to us in the Bible. And third, that He means what He says. I'm so thankful that there's, a, that there's a God, that He's spoken to us in the Bible, and that He means what He says. And this morning, as we look at this passage of Scripture, there are four wonderful reasons of why we know that He is worthy. And I hope you'll stay with me this morning. It's going to be a simple message but hopefully a challenge to our hearts to answer that question, why is He worthy? Notice at the second half of verse 12, we see the first reason that He is worthy. He's worthy because of the inheritance that He has given us, the inheritance that He has given us. He says, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. As you go back in the context there, verses 10, 11, and 12, we are challenged to walk worthy of the Lord. And he talks about these various ways that we demonstrate our worthy walk, being strengthened with His might, bearing fruit, growing in the knowledge of, of the Lord. Uh, all of these things that we're to do. And then he begins to give us the reasons why He is worthy. The reasons why we are to live the way that He has told us to live. And the first reason He gives us is the inheritance that He has given to us. He has given us this great promise, the promise of the inheritance. Notice, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. In other words, He made it available to us. See, this inheritance, while it's available to all through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, without the gospel, without Jesus Christ... We could not receive this inheritance. That's what it means when it says He has made us meet. In other words, able to attain, able to receive this inheritance. It is through the work of Jesus Christ that we can receive this inheritance. That's one great reason that He is worthy. He's worthy of our honor. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our service because He is the one that has made, it, made us able to receive the inheritance that comes from God. So there's this promise of this inheritance. The Bible is very clear. It tells us this, that the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. Some people grow up and they live their life and they kind of have this attitude that they deserve something really good. You know, we might even think, well, I deserve an inheritance. No, you deserve death. The wages of sin is death, but, it says, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance. It is through the gift of God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, that we can receive this inheritance. It is a great promise. Romans 8 verse 17 says it this way, And if children 
He's talking about being children of God, then heirs. To be an heir is a, a recipient of an inheritance and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Romans 8, 17 is a wonderful verse because it teaches us that we become joint heirs with Christ. We receive the, the same kind of inheritance. We're receiving eternal life. What a great inheritance that is. There is a promise of this inheritance. But we also notice the value of this inheritance. You see, this inheritance is promised to those who are His children. Not everyone is a child of God. Only those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior are children of God. Yes, we are all God's creation. Yes, God has a plan for every one of our lives. But part of that plan is for us to become His children. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There is a great value, though, that we see of this inheritance. 1 Peter 1.4 describes the inheritance this way. It says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. I love that verse. It details out some specifics about the inheritance. Maybe some of you have, at some point in your life, received an inheritance. And typically, when you receive an inheritance, you go to when the will is being read and someone, the executor of the will, gets up and reads that will and they detail out what is going to be given to each person that is receiving part of that inheritance. Here in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, God is giving to us a detailed description of what that inheritance looks like. So you know exactly what you're going to receive. There's a great value to this inheritance. Imagine if you had been told that you're going to receive an inheritance and so very excitedly you go to hear the will being read thinking that you're going to receive a large sum of money only to find out that the person that you thought loved you dearly left all the money to their cat and, and left you... You know, so just some paltry sum that didn't seem to amount to very much at all. While you received an inheritance, the value of that inheritance would be very small. My children watched the cartoon the other day about the Aristocats and how the lady left all of her money to her cats. And, and so the butler was doing everything he could to try to get rid of those cats so he could receive the inheritance. He felt like it was unfair that he had been written out of the will, so to speak. But I'm thankful that when God wrote down what the inheritance was, this wasn't just some passing thought that he had. God doesn't go back later and change his will. God means what he says. And he has told us what this inheritance is. It is an inheritance that is incorruptible. In other words, it will never decay. Nothing can ever cause it to rot. He says this inheritance is undefiled. It can never be defiled. It is absolutely pure. It is what he says that it is. This inheritance, it says, fadeth not away. This is an inheritance that will never lose 
its value. It doesn't fade away. If you inherited a house, that house over time could fade away, could lose its value. If you inherited a vehicle, that vehicle over time could fade away. I remember a good friend of ours, a lady we knew many years growing up, and when she passed away, she left her vehicle to her son. And he was very thankful to get the vehicle. And as he was driving home in his new vehicle, he got pulled over, got a ticket. She forgot to keep her inspection up to date. <laughs> now, while he enjoyed his inheritance, it faded away just a little bit, didn't it? Because the sticker wasn't up to date. His mom, she was quite a fun lady, and he said, boy, she, she would always pull pranks on me in life, and she pulled one on me after she was gone just as well. The inheritance fades away if it's an earthly inheritance. But our heavenly inheritance has so much value, it will never fade away. And I love those last, ver last few words of 1 Peter 1, 4, reserved in heaven for you. Sometimes I like to take my wife out on a nice date and I'll call up a restaurant and I'll make a reservation. And if you've ever done something like that, if you go to the restaurant, you expect them to have your reservation. But maybe you've had this experience. You've gone to a restaurant and said, well, I made a reservation. They said, well, we're sorry. We had a large party come in and and uh, some important people here, and they've, they've taken your place. There's no more room here for you tonight. I'm sorry. We'll try to make it up to you. I, I know this has happened to me when I've been on a trip before. You make a reservation to get on an airplane at a certain time, to get from a certain place to another place, only to show up, and they say, we're sorry, we've oversold the flight. Uh, would you be okay with taking a later flight? Most of you are usually thinking, no, I would not. I wanted to fly when I wanted to fly. I made this reservation on purpose to take this trip at this particular time. Now, sometimes they try to sweeten the deal and give you a free flight or a free hotel stay. But often, if you travel very much, you just want to get home. I'm so thankful when we make a reservation with the Lord. He has it reserved in heaven for you. This inheritance is reserved. Nothing can take it away. No one will get in your way. No one's going to take your place. God has a place. He's preparing it for you. Jesus told His disciples this before He went away. He said, I'm going away. But He said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there ye may be with me also. I'm so thankful for this great inheritance. That's one of the great reasons that He is worthy of our service. He is worthy of our obedience. He is worthy of our faithful living. Is because of the inheritance that He has laid up in heaven for each and every one of us. And it's an inheritance He didn't have to give us, but He gave it to us because He loved us so much. He has made us meet to be partakers. We are able to partake of the inheritance because of the work that Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And I am thankful for that. Praise God. He's worthy because of His inheritance that He offers to each and every one who is trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. This inheritance, He says, is of the saints in light. 
God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. What a wonderful inheritance, a great promise, a great value. But as we continue on in this passage, we see at the beginning of verse 13, it's not just because of the inheritance, even though the inheritance is wonderful, He's also worthy, number two, because of the deliverance that He provides us. Verse 13 says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness? He's delivered us. That word to deliver means to rescue with the idea that the thing you're being rescued from is really bad and the thing you're being put into is really good. That's really what the word means, to be delivered. It doesn't mean He took us just from one bad place to another bad place. No, it means it's take us out of a bad place and put us into a good place or lift us up from a place where we've fallen down and put us up on a place where we're standing strong. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. I want you to notice our position without Christ. That's where we were under the power of darkness. Romans 3 verses 10 through 12 say this, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. Who in here is excluded from that verse? None of us. None righteous. That's our position without Christ. None righteous, no, not one. He says, though, there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. That kind of flies in the face, doesn't it, of sort of contemporary thought. Well, people are basically good. What part of none do you not understand? <laughs> none. We're all sinners. Verse 23 of the same chapter says it very simply, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. See, that's our position without Christ. We're in darkness. But after you see our position without Christ, notice our protection in Christ. To deliver us means He took us from a place that was bad, horrible, evil, awful. He's put us in a safe place. Colossians chapter 2, if you're in Colossians 1, just turn over a page or so. You'll see in verse 13, He details out what this looks like. The protection that we have in Christ after He has delivered us. He says in verse 13, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Here's your position without Christ. And you hath He quickened. That means to be made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. I love those all-inclusive words that God puts in the Bible, don't you? While it may be hard to hear that there is none righteous, it sure is encouraging to also know that when He forgives you, He forgives you of all your trespasses, every single thing that you've ever done wrong, He'll forgive you of it. He says He's forgiven you of all trespasses. Keep reading. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. 
So there was all kinds of things written against us, right? All those sins that we had committed, all the bad stuff we've done, all written down, all a record. The Bible says through Jesus Christ, it's all blotted out. It's all erased. He said, which was contrary to us, notice, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. He took every sin, He blotted it out, every trespass, it's gone. The Bible says He nailed it to the cross. In other words, when Jesus hung on the cross that night, a couple thousand years ago, our sins were placed on the cross with Him. It was all forgiven. It's under the blood. It's forgiven through Jesus Christ, our protection in Christ. He says, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now, verse 15 may seem, well, there were some big words there. Okay. Who were the principalities and powers? That's the wickedness, the, the dark things of this world. That's evil. That, that's Satan. That's all of his demons. That's all the wickedness around us. The Bible says that Jesus spoiled them. In other words, it's as if two armies went to war and one army won and they took spoils. They took the things that belonged to that other army because they had won the battle and it was now theirs. Jesus, when He died on the cross, He went to battle against sin and against death and He won the victory. He won the victory on the cross and He proved that He won that victory when He rose from the grave three days later, having victory over sin and over death. And because of that great victory, he spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly. He hung on the cross for the world to see. Everybody saw him and they knew that he died. And then he was seen by hundreds in his resurrection. He made a show of them openly. He triumphed over them. What a great protection we have in Christ. He is worthy. He's worthy because of the inheritance that He gives us. He is worthy because of the great deliverance that we have in Christ. But He's also worthy. Notice the second half of verse 13. He is worthy because of the transference He gives us. Verse 13 at the end says, And He has translated us, and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Now, I know quite a few of you in here know something about translation, at least when it comes to languages. You can take English and translate it to Spanish, or you can take um, Italian and translate it into Russian. You can take languages and translate them. In fact, our Bible has been translated into English. I'm thankful because without translation, it would be very difficult for most of us to read it. Not too many Greek speakers here this morning. Not too many Hebrew scholars in the crowd. So I'm thankful for those that did the work to translate it so that we could understand it. But this word to be translated has the idea that He moved us from one place to another. He, he put us in a different place. And in fact, as, he, as we were translated, He changed us around completely, didn't He? He's translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. I like this idea of translation because if you try to speak to somebody and you don't speak their language, it's basically impossible or very difficult 
for you to understand each other, right? But if you have a translation device, some of you have done this with like Google Translate on your phone, you can take it and speak it into it in your language. You press a button and it translates it into the language that the other person speaks. And it's amazing with this little device, you can now be having a conversation with somebody that previously you were unable to communicate with. Now think of that in relation to our spiritual life. Because of our sin, we could not get to heaven. Because of our sin, we could not have a relationship with God. But through Jesus Christ, through His death, burial, and resurrection, as we put our faith and trust in the gospel and what it's done for us, He's translated us. Where we once could not communicate, now we can communicate. Where we once could not go, now we can go. Where we once could not exist, now we can exist because He has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. This word to translate is think about transferring or another word I put in our notes is the idea of to be rescued. When you're out of the boat, you're not in the boat. When you're in the storm, you're in danger. But He's taken us out of a place where we couldn't help ourselves and He's put us in a place where now we have direct access to the Father. He has rescued us personally. In that verse, He uses that little two-letter word, us. He translated us. It was a very personal thing that God did. When Christ died on the cross for your sins, He died for your sins. He died for my sins. And now His work that He's done has translated us. I'm so thankful that God cares about us personally, that He is a personal Savior. He's translated us and He's also rescued us or translated us positionally. Right? We, we've been delivered and then kind of following up on that idea, we've been translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. That's the new position that we have in Christ. He's translated us positionally. What does this mean? Well, He's put us into the kingdom of His dear Son. We were in the domain of darkness and the kingdom of Satan, and now we are in the kingdom of Christ. We have passed from death to life, from alienation to acceptance, from despair to hope, from danger to safety, and from uncertainty to peace. He's translated us positionally. Now, I haven't made this point yet, but... I want you to notice this as you read each of these four things. The fact that He has given us an inheritance. The fact that He has delivered us. The fact that He has translated us. We'll see one more here in just a minute. How He's forgiven us. He's accepted us through His blood. But each and every one of those things, it's written as if it's already been done. Because if you've been saved, it has already been done. Jesus Christ already died for your sins. He doesn't have to go and do it again. It's already been done once for all. You say, well, I'm still living this life. Things are still hard. I struggle day to day. The inheritance is already reserved. It's already been done. You don't have to... Perform a bunch of extra things. Just, well, 
Now I'll get my inheritance. No, the inheritance is already there. It's already been done. We may not have fully received it yet, but it's written down. It's reserved. It's waiting. It's right there for when we get to that point. We're not there yet. That's why while we are here in this life, we are to walk worthy. Live in a way that befits someone who has received a great inheritance. Live in a way that honors the one who has delivered us from the things of this world. Live in a way that is obvious that we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. See, there are many people today who would claim to be Christians. And maybe there are. I, I, I can't see their hearts. That's between them and God, right? But we need to be very careful about that. But the Bible is very clear. But if you're a believer, you ought to live like one. You've already been delivered. You've already been translated. And that it is going to happen. It is complete in the mind of God. And you will experience that completeness in your life as you live for Him. And someday if He either comes back first or, or your life on this earth ends, either way, you get to experience all of these things. But while we're here right now, we ought to walk worthy of the Lord. He's worthy, in verse 14, because of our acceptance through His blood. Colossians 1, verse 14, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you notice the end of the verse, at least in my Bible, there's a colon. That means, those two little dots there, that means it's, the thought's not over with yet. But there's so much in this one verse that I just decided, I don't think we're going to make it past the colon this morning. We're going to have to just stop right here. Because when you grasp and you think and you meditate on the truth of verse 14, in whom? Who? Jesus. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. When you stop and think on that truth, it can keep you busy all day. And it's worth thinking about. I want to take a little bit of time this morning to think about this. Notice the preciousness of this payment. It was a precious payment. It was His blood. It's His blood. And we know because of the blood of Jesus Christ, He was completely pure. This is a pure payment. Because God would not have accepted an impure payment to pay for our sin. Impurity can't pay for impurity. It required a pure sacrifice to pay for our sin. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted like as we are, yet He was without sin. He was tempted directly by Satan, yet He never sinned. He lived an absolutely perfect life. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 says this, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 
Have you thought lately about the precious, pure gift that Christ gave us on the cross so that we could have redemption from sin? What did Christ do? Well, we just finished the Christmas season and celebrating the birth of our Savior. But really we're looking now towards, as we celebrate His death, His burial and His resurrection. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus and His disciples met together to observe the Passover dinner. And as they were eating that night, Jesus and His twelve disciples, Jesus took some bread and He dipped it. He took that sop and He said, The one I give this to, He's going to betray me. This is a man who had walked with Jesus. He'd heard Him preach. He had, the Bible tells us He was even the one that handled the money. He was considered a close companion of Jesus. But Jesus knew his heart, just like Jesus knows your heart and he knows my heart. He knows everything about us. And that man, Judas Iscariot, went from him that night. And he went to the religious leaders because he saw an opportunity to make some more money for himself. And he betrayed his Lord to those religious leaders that night. So as Jesus and his disciples left the upper room, he took them to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And as they were in the garden that night, Jesus invited his other disciples. He says, won't you watch and pray with me? Jesus began to pray. The Bible tells us he was in great agony as he prayed. Such agony that as he prayed, the sweat came out as great drops of blood. Now scientists tell me that somebody under enough physical stress truly can sweat blood. Jesus, as He prayed that night, He was in agony because He knew what God had asked Him to do. But He cried out to His heavenly Father that night. He said, Lord, if it be Thy will, let this cup pass from me. God, if there's any other way, let it be. But He said, not my will, but Thine be done. He, he willingly offered Himself as the sacrifice for your sin and mine. For the sins of this world. Now his disciples, those men that were with him in the garden, they missed it. Instead of being with their friend and their leader and praying with them, the Bible says they fell asleep. I can't imagine what Jesus in his humanity must have felt like as he's dealing with this incredible struggle, the greatest struggle of all mankind, the struggle for the sins of the human race and Looks over and these guys are just asleep. Folks, may we not miss out on what God is doing because we're just asleep. They were there asleep. Jesus woke them up, invited them to pray to them. They fell back asleep again. But they did wake up when the soldiers came into the garden. A band of soldiers came with some of the religious leaders and Judas Iscariot was leading them. And the Bible says that Judas came up to Jesus and he greeted him. He gave him a little kiss on the cheek, which is how they would have greeted each other in those days. Those soldiers went and they took Jesus and they arrested him. Now, 
Peter wasn't asleep. Now Peter was ready for a fight and Peter pulls out his sword and he chops off the ear of one of the high priest's servants. Jesus, the ever kind, loving, gentle God that he is, reached down, picked up that man's ear and healed him. Old Malchus got his ear fixed that night. That was probably a pretty nice surgery as far as the, the healing portion of it. Jesus tells Peter, put your sword away. They take Jesus, they arrest him that night, and the Bible tells us they took him down to the court where they began to try him, they began to ask questions of him. This was really just a show trial. The verdict had already been decided by the people that night. All they were looking for was a way to remove this person that they considered to be a great thorn in their flesh because he taught, the Bible says, as one having authority. He taught the Word of God as if he had the authority to teach it in contrast to the religious leaders of that day who used the Word of God only for their own gain. Some ways we see some of the same things today. But Jesus taught the Word of God. He taught the truth. He taught that He was the way, the truth, and the life. He taught that He was the only begotten of the Father. They wanted to say it was blasphemy. They wanted to say all kinds of things about it. But Jesus had already been very clear. He said His words and His works, they testified of who He was. That He truly was God in human flesh. They took Him that night and they sent Him out several different times. They sent Him to be beaten. Those Roman soldiers took that cat of nine tails, the long leather straps, possibly with even pieces of stone or glass or metal stuck in the end, and they beat him over and over again, so much that the blood ran down, the, the flesh was pulled from his bones. In fact, to the place that the Bible tells us that you couldn't even recognize him as a man. They spat on him. They tore out his beard. They hit him, they mocked him, they placed that crown of thorns on his head and pushed it down. They beat him over the head with this reed. They called him names. They said, well, if, if you're God, tell us, tell us who hit you. Awful, awful treatment of our Lord. You say, why did he go through all that? Because he was willing to take the cup that his father offered to him. There was a high cost to this payment. This was the redemption through His blood. Much more detail could be gone into on these things, but we know after all of those atrocities were put onto His body, then they took this cross and they said they wanted Him to carry it up to the hill. He carried that cross a ways until he fell under its weight. Finally, they called someone else to help him carry it. They get it up to the hill. They nail him to the cross through his hands and through his feet. And they hang him there on that cross where he hung until he died. Even as he hung on the cross, they mocked him. They said, if you're really God, why don't you come down from that cross? The only reason he stayed on that cross was for you and for me. He was really God. He could have come down from the cross. Or as the song that we sing some, sometimes, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but 
He died alone for you and for me. His mother Mary watched him as he hung that night. All of his other disciples, save John, had forsaken him by this point. They were more concerned for their own lives than they were concerned for the life of their Savior. Jesus died that night as he hung on the cross in great pain and agony. Great physical pain. But before he died, the greatest pain of all was the spiritual pain as God the Father turned his back on the Son. As God, in a sense, separated from God that night. Jesus Christ, all God and all man, and God the Father, as God placed the sins of the world on His Son, He had to turn His back because He could not look on sin. There was a high price for this payment, the redemption of His blood. We could ask the question, is He worthy? Oh, He is. He's worthy because of the inheritance that He's given us. He's Worthy because of the deliverance that He's given us. He, he's worthy because of the transference that He has brought us through. And He's worthy because of the acceptance that we have through His blood. And we see at the end of verse 14, the result of this payment. Even... The forgiveness of sins. We are forgiven. It's all been washed away. We're no longer under the penalty of sin. He is worthy. He's worthy. This week and the last few weeks as I've been reading and studying and thinking about these passages here in Colossians, I have been challenged about my relationship with God. God's challenged me that I'm not living worthy in every way like I should. There are areas of my life I need to do better in. And as I've thought even just on these couple of verses, these four things, Wow, so thankful for all that God has done for me. Sure makes a pretty easy, motivated thing to say, we're supposed to give thanks for what He's done. Sure makes it a lot easier for us to understand why we ought to be bearing fruit. There ought to be physical representations of the spiritual work that God is doing in our lives because of what He's done for us on the cross. It sure makes it clear why I need to Grow in my knowledge of God because it'll change everything about me. To me, it sure makes it clear why the only strength that we ought to be strengthened with is His strength, according to His might. Because if He could do all these things for me, there's nothing that can stop our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why is He worthy? Well, did you know there's even more reasons than this? We'll get to them in a couple weeks. But He's worthy because He's given us that inheritance, because He's delivered us, because He's translated us, 
And because he's given us the forgiveness of sins, he's accepted us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and pray. Let's thank the Lord because of what he's done for us. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, don't leave today without trusting in our Lord because he is worthy. If you know him as your Savior, but there's an area of your life, you say, Pastor, I, I need to change. I'm not living like he's really worthy. I'm living for myself in this particular area. Would you ask God to forgive you of that today? And let us as a church help you to make the steps to begin to walk worthy of the Lord. Father, help us now as we respond to your word, to this truth this morning. Help us to live according to your will. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. The piano's going to play and take some time to talk to the Lord. I'm happy to pray with you up here if you'd like, but you get with God. That's the most important thing this morning.